On today's episode of Doctors Who Create, our guest is Dr. Nina Vossen. Dr. Vossen did her undergrad in medical school at Harvard and completed her residency and MBA at Stanford. There, she is now a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences. During her first couple of years of residency, she founded Brainstorm, the Stanford Lab for Mental Health Innovation, in which she is currently the executive director. Brainstorm is the world's first academic lab dedicated to mental health innovation and entrepreneurship. They look at the intersection of mental health care, technology, and business to help create effective mental health products. She's also the chief medical officer of Real, an app that aims to improve access and quality of mental health care by providing therapist-built exercises, group therapy, and more. Adding to this long list, Dr. Vossen is also the co-author of Do Good Well, Your Guide to Leadership, Action, and Social Innovation, an Amazon number one bestseller. Welcome to the pod, Dr. Vossen. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to be here and really excited to, to jump in and love, love the topic of Doctors Who Create. In your book, Do Good Well, you outline the concrete steps a new entrepreneur should take in leading social innovation. The first part of the book is titled The Vision, and it includes chapter about knowing yourself, knowing your world, identifying and understanding the problem, and brainstorming solutions. And through Stanford Brainstorm, I'm sure you help your students and young entrepreneurs think through these steps, but tell me about what your vision in creating Brainstorm was like. What did young Dr. Vasa know about herself and the world? What were the problems she noticed and potential solutions ending up with Brainstorm? Wow. That First of all, that is very beautiful. Thank you for how you put all that together. And I will rewind a bit and think about all that. So there are three kind of themes that we have in Do Good Well. The first, and, and so I should go go back and explain, Too Good Well, basically the idea is really trying to be the kind of comprehensive how-to guide for social change and social action. So let's say, you know, you have a problem you care a lot about. Maybe that might be mental health. It might be rights. It might be women's rights. And you want to do something about it. How do you do good well, right? And, and really what it does is take you through everything from, like you were talking about, who are you, brainstorming ideas, then building a team and uh, you know, raising money and all the different things that kind of come up in that whole process and helping you understand what to do. Now, those ideas, though, so then, and as I said, this was specifically for, you know, kind of social change as a whole. When I then, you know, was in, in medical school, in residency and entering the medical field, I felt like those same ideas of do what works, work together, make it last came into so many problems that I was seeing in healthcare and specifically in mental health care. And I think that was a very kind of important link to me of how I saw that one, how it really links to all this other work in the past, as well as then, okay, we do need to do something about it. We do need to take action. In the, the, the book is Your Guide to Leadership, Action and Social Innovation. So really taking action in, in mental health in this way and thinking you know, outside the box and what are things, what are organizations, what are groups that we can create that will help do something meaningful. That's the big picture. So then what was I really, you know, seeing that was happening and, and how did that lead to what we're what we've done at Brainstorm? So the first is that Brainstorm started now seven, eight years ago, many, many years ago. And at that time, if we look at what mental health was like, and especially mental health time, like mental health times technology, mental health tech, mental health innovation, it was really in its very, very early stages. Just to give an example, you know, at that time, there were a handful of mental health apps. Today, there are more than a thousand mental health apps. 
And so, you know, the field has really, really taken off over the last few years. And it's been wonderful to, to get to be a part of that. But if we go back to what things were like then, you know, technology, there were a lot of, if we look at the field of even like health technology, let's say, there were a lot of companies out there that were doing things in, let's say, you know, cardiology or oncology or emergency medicine and all these other, you know, diseases, parts of the body, all these other parts of the medical world. But mental health really had not been addressed very well. And moreover, the severe aspects of mental health had really not been addressed, meaning people were doing things like mindfulness. Mindfulness is awesome. I love mindfulness, recommend it to all my patients, but mental health, but, but mindfulness is not going to cure chronic schizophrenia, let's say. So, you know, it seemed like what was being done while it was a great, great, great effort. What was missing was really addressing the pathologies in mental health and that there was enormous opportunity to do something leveraging technology to make all this better. So let me then get to what specifically we're doing at Brainstorm. And I'll actually talk first about what is the problem that we're really seeing that we're trying to address. And so I'll throw some statistics out there. Worldwide today, the average amount of time that we in general are spending on social media is two and a half hours per day. That's a lot of time. I definitely spend more think- than that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a lot of people would say that they spend more than that as well as well. And and you know, and and I think actually so specifically for teens and young adults, the average is 6 hours per day. Wow. And I think there are even people who would say, you know what, I think I might be spending more like 8 or 10 hours per day, right? On on you know, on Instagram, on t- on TikTok, things like that. And that's enormous. And what that showed us though from from the medical perspective as as you know, putting my psychiatrist hat on there is People are spending a lot of their lives online. They're engaging in these different online tools to entertain, to inform, to build community. And and the time they're spending online is both giving them a lot of really good things. For example, building community where one might not have it, teaching you about certain things that you didn't know about. Those are all fantastic things that we get from being online. But there's also a negative of this, which is some very concerning challenges that come up with all this time spent online. Things like what we know that the more time people spend online, their overall mental health starts to suffer. There have been research studies that show tons of correlations between time spent online and increases in depression, increases in anxiety, thoughts of suicide and self-harm, sleep disturbances, body image issues, just Almost everything we deal with truly in some way, there are being being online and being more and more online can lead to these things getting worse. So what became clear is that these products and platforms that people are engaging with were really built to entertain and to inform, right? If we think about something like like, like Instagram, that was meant for you to share pictures and connect with friends. Something like TikTok, you know, similarly, letting you create these videos that could entertain people, do really cool dances or sing really cool re- remixes and stuff like that, right? And and share all that. What they were not d- created for, they were not designed with people's mental health in mind. So that is the real problem, the kind of call to action for Brainstorm, which is that mental health has never been factored into the design of these online products and platforms. That's the big problem that we're trying to address. How then we're solving that is that 
uh, most of the members of the Brainstorm Lab are practicing physicians. We, though, are very interdisciplinary. We're, we're based at Stanford Medical School. We have folks in our lab who have been in the law school, in the business school, doing different types of PhDs and, and things like that. So we have an interdisciplinary team. And the biggest core of that is practicing clinicians. And so what we try to do is draw upon our unique expertise as mental health clinicians, as doctors, as researchers, as people who are working in clinical clinical medicine in public health and use that to guide improvements to the design and creation of these online platforms. And what we wanna see is that when mental health is factored into product design, we can really create a world online that's healthier from the mental health perspective and one that not only decreases the likelihood of these bad things happening like depression, anxiety, body image issues, but also use these same tools to actually improve and facilitate the prevention and treatment of mental health concerns. Uh, you mentioned um, self-harm content on social media, and that goes straight into Brainstorm's work with Pinterest, um, which was awarded by Fast Company as one of the most innovative wellness projects of 2020. Tell us more about what you accomplished with Pinterest. Yes, that, that's a great example. And, and thank you for bringing that up. So let's rewind to 2018, before the pandemic, before we knew all those words related to the pandemic, 2018, that's now five years ago. That's when we first started working with Pinterest. And for those of you who have been on Pinterest, what you know is that Pinterest is really a place where people go to, to create, to imagine, to share ideas. And so for example, on Pinterest, you might do something like building your vision board for what you want out of 2023 or share recipes or design ideas, things like that. And maybe also like you'll see something you like and you'll buy it, right? You see an awesome navy blue sofa and then you, you, you decide you're gonna buy that. So that's how Pinterest generally is used. Now, what they realized, they were doing a lot of analysis of why are people coming to our platform? What are they searching for on our platform? And they found that mental health, will it, will mental health related terms like depression, stress, anxiety, these words were actually the fourth or fifth most common group of search terms that they were that they were experiencing. Wow. That really really was surprising because if you look at that that time Pinterest was not at all a place where it was obvious to go and search for mental health help. Like most people would have gone to something like Google, maybe YouTube, WebMD, places like that to get information, but not Pinterest. And so what the what the founders and 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 all the, the CEO and the, the chief product officer saw when they were looking at that is this is really showing us that people are coming here dealing with very, very real mental health issues. What can we deliver to them that will help make a better experience for them? Um, you mentioned you mentioned self-harm and suicide. And so what I also need to share is that. Uh, I think a few weeks or months after we started working with them, or actually, no, I think it was it was before we started working with them, but it came into the news that a really tragic, a big tragedy happened. And what happened was in the UK, there was a teenager who had engaged in been looking at content on both Instagram and Pinterest, and died from suicide. And what happened in the aftermath was that her parents were looking at her computer and they saw that she was on these different platforms and and specifically you know she was looking at very dark content related to suicide self-harm things like that on these platforms and one of the most concerning things to them was that they saw that after she had looked at it she was getting pushed more information related to that to her inbox 
So, you know, we've all had this experience, right? Like, for example, I'll say, you know, I'm searching for a type of dress and I go to that website and I see that dress and then all the ads in my feed just end up being that dress, right? Or it says, go back to Banana Republic to buy this, like the things like that. Or you're, you're, you know, you, you buy something and they send you many, many more things like it and say, engage with this. That we, that's, we experience that with all sorts of platforms. That's fine if it's something like a dress or like a, a navy blue sofa. If it's something related to self-harm or suicide, that can be incredibly, incredibly dangerous. So what Pinterest was then realizing was there are, there are a few really important things here. One is that there's a huge opportunity to deliver something that helps with mental health, helps people get better. And also there are very real and dangerous consequences to the way that people are interacting, the UI, UX, um, and how that, that manifests for their user. And that needs to then be prevented. We need to understand the big risks of what might be there and try to prevent it. So I wanted to paint the picture for like, what, what were we trying to solve in the first place? So then we worked with Pinterest over the course of really a little bit over a year. And what we did was we created three different sets of tools and I'll kind of go into what those were. The first thing that we did was create a whole, really like a whole bucket of exercises that you can do on the platform to improve your mental health. And today in 2023, I think there are a ton of apps actually that do very similar things. That wasn't the case in 2018 when we started. And moreover, not only was it not something that was re very readily out there, it was definitely not something where if you went to a platform, you could get that tool immediately, right? You'd have to search for it on a on a different app or go somewhere else, or maybe go to your doctor to try to get that sort of help. And so what we tried to do in creating these exercises was think about what are the things that I do one-on-one -on -one with my own patients and how do I then turn that into something that you can do on the Pinterest platform? So, so for example, it might be something like mindfulness or gratitude exercises, or if you're having thoughts of self-harm, what are the different things that you can do that will help you get better? For example, one, one thing you can do is we know that holding an ice cube and really connecting with that physical sensation if you're having thoughts about self-harm, that can help you actually feel more grounded and, and those thoughts get better. They, they, they start, they can start to go away. So all sorts of things like that that we were that we do, we built those into these really short exercises, anywhere from like one to five minutes that you can do on the platform and really try to Pinterest Pinterestify it. Everything from, you know, and we, when, when I say we were doing, we were looking at evidence, in this case, medical evidence, we were also bringing in things like evidence in terms of design. For example, one of the things we saw was that when it comes to what people see, when they see drawings of nature, uh, uh, pictures of nature ends up being very calming. And moreover, drawings over actual pictures also ends up people ends up with people feeling better. So we thought about all those different things in terms of what's going to be safe and create a really good positive mental health environment in terms of how we then uh, release that content. So now, what, so it's called wellbeing.pinterest or Pinterest wellbeing. If you go to Pinterest or you type in depression or anxiety, this entire different pop-up will come up, which has all these tools available. It, you can also access it directly at wellbeing.pinterest.com. Um, let me share two more things that we did and then what the impact of all of that was. So the first, as I said, was getting all that content out there. And we call those microtherapeutics, microtherapeutics, yeah, microtherapeutics. There are about, I think, you know, over a dozen, maybe two dozen things that we put out there. The first set of things were for stress and anxiety and depression. The set, there was a whole second set around self-harm. 
and suicide that that helps people. The second thing that we did was we thought about their user interface and what is the experience like when you're going to Pinterest and looking at things. And we made a number of changes to what that looks like. And I'll give you an example. So, you know, when you're on Google, when you're on Pinterest, things like this, if you start to type, you know, I want to search for, um, or let, let's just use the, the other example I was using before, you know, navy blue sofas for my living room. And what it will start to happen, you see, is that you might type in navy blue sofas and it actually fills in for you in my living room, right? So you get these recommendations of what you might be thinking and that, and it kind of recommends that to you. So you don't have to type or you can just press enter and, and get to that. So the, it's trying to really think about what do you mean when you say these first few words? Again, that's all great when it is things like sofas, if it's something like self-harm or suicide, we don't want to recommend to you things that might further um, further make those things come up. Another thing, just like this example of the, of the unfortunate tragedy of the UK, we don't want to be pushing more content to you if that is dark content that could lead to your mental health getting worse. So what we did is we identified a number of trigger words and topics that come up that we wanted to make sure that when someone typed in something related to that, they wouldn't then get these sort of, these sorts of experiences where it can make things worse. So changing the user interface was the next thing. The final thing we did was work on the algorithm. And algorithms have been very, very popular, I think, a lot of discussion now, because, for example, we've seen that on TikTok, you know, the algorithm is so powerful and strong that within a few different searches or swipes, you can like get to something that might be very dangerous even or might be concerning. And, and so really understanding what these algorithms are doing and saying and how they're thinking, what they're, you know, what they're creating, that's been something that we're talking a lot about now and, and back in the day. Um, so what we did with the engine algorithm engineers is work with them and teach them about mental health and these different triggers that come up, how it relates to self-harm, suicide, and things like that. And they were then able to change the algorithm such that what we learned about six months later was that the amount of self-harm content on the platform had gone down by 88% just in six months. And, and you know, obviously they, they continue to refine it and make that better. But basically the whole thing was um, the term Pinterest use actually was called compassionate search. And if you think about that, it's really inter putting mental health into the search experience, right? Compassionate search, everything from if you're searching for something, you get these potential treatments that can help you get better. We change the experience so you're not getting further harmed. And we remove this content that can be very harmful. So that is what we did with Pinterest. Since we got it out there, actually, it's expand to now, I think the most recent was 23 countries around the world, which is really, really awesome to see, you know, different languages and, and, um, and things like that. And so it's been really, really awesome and rewarding just to see how this set of tools has been able to really shape, uh, give people treatments and reshape the way that we think about how products need to, and, and online platforms need to be created so that it's one, not doing harm, you know, as physicians, what we what do we say all the time, right? Our, our oath is to do no harm. And then similarly to give treatment so people can get better and get better faster. So you eliminated that negative loop the algorithm was feeding if someone searched up dark content, which is usually a positive loop if we want to look up for outfit inspirations or anything like that. And that was just one example of what Brainstorm did. So are there any other exciting projects at Brainstorm you're at liberty to discuss? 
Yeah, the, the keywords there are at liberty to discuss. So there have been a number of things that we've done that we're still under NDA and we're not allowed to share. And I think like when they come out, we can share more, but are there others that have come out that we can't share that we were the ones working with them and that that's common in all kind of when when, when we as, as academics, as experts are working and, and consulting with companies and creating products, you know, we can't always share everything. But one of the things I can share actually is something that we've just been doing very recently is actually working with TikTok. And specifically, um, actually, this this came out just a few months ago, so I can share um, one of the things we saw with TikTok. And, and let me just say that there one a lot of really awesome things about TikTok, and a ton of very very concerning things when it comes to mental health, both in terms of the platform. Um, being able to, uh, you know, put out a lot of things there that can make people start to feel worse. So for example, people who are struggling with addiction, they may start to see more and more stuff related to addiction that can be triggering or body image, a lot of things related to eating and, and dieting and body image. And, and, and moreover, like kind of people on maybe unintentional, not meaning to harm, but putting stuff out there that is not um, valid that does not have you know scientific evidence that people then think is true and misinformation medical misinformation is what I'm talking about here so you know there are a lot of concerning things um, that's actually exactly why we wanted to work with a company like sorry a company like TikTok um, one you know the 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 you know many 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 millions billions of users they have um, and the fact that there are a lot of opportunities to to, to do good here. And so one of the things that we just did most recently was think about just the sheer is, uh, issue of the time that you are spending online, right? That was the first, very first thing I talked about is people are spending two and a half hours online, teens and young adults, you know, six hours and a lot of people a lot more. So how do we, one of the things that people say when they're on TikTok is they say, I feel addicted to it. I, I think I'm going to be on for five minutes. And then an hour later, I realize, oh my gosh, it's, you know, it's 7 p.m. or something. Um, and so how can we actually give users more agency, more control over how much time they're spending so that they can actually help dictate that and we can build in tools that help them get offline, get off the platform. And, and I think, you know, it's actually really great, I think, that TikTok was willing to do this because obviously, you know, you can imagine the kind of negative or the dark side, you might say that, oh, wait, don't social media companies want all their people to be online all the time because that's how they get ad revenue and, you know, things like that. And so I think it, I, I do want to really say it's important that, you know, they, they realize that this is not something that's helpful. And it, moreover, it would be helpful to try to put in some limitations so people do get off the platform. So, so what we did was we put in a whole a suite of uh, tools that people can use to change how much time they spend everything from now if you go on uh, and you go to the settings area you can actually say you know I want to spend 30 minutes I want to spend 60 minutes and then when 30 minutes comes a, a pop-up will come and encourage you to get offline so so that, that's one example there, there are a few other things that all related to kind of screen time management how do we help you manage the time you're spending um that that we put out there and I think that's you know from a mental health perspective the number of people who come in and see me as patients and talk about you know I was on TikTok or I was on one of these other other social media sites and I heard that it, you know because I have depression I can do x and again that's totally like medical information misinformation right or someone saying um gosh you know I see everyone else having this awesome vacation and I feel really bad because I haven't even gotten to take a vacation and it just seems like everyone else is living this better life than I am we hear that all the time and this is people comparing themselves to other people online and increasing depression, increasing anxiety. So, so the issue is we see this every day with patients and it manifests in so many different ways. And so it's been such a great opportunity to then work with these platforms to think about how we can make things better.
I think it's really unique for Brainstorm that it's focused on mental health because I go to Penn and there's Wharton and a lot of business schools have venture labs, but I've never heard of one in particular for mental health. That's you, you nailed it. That's actually a big read. That's so much even of why Brainstorm was created and why, for example, we teach the classes we do. For example, you know, at Stanford, just similar to Wharton, there are a lot of classes out there to teach you how to launch a company, how to start a company in in every every kind of field, every department, but there hadn't really been one on mental health. And that's actually what we started was the, the mental health kind of, you know, I want to start something in mental health. How do I do that? What are the important issues I need to understand? And how do I do that? And um, I think that what's really important there and why we actually felt like it was important. What, for example, there are already healthcare versions of that. Why does mental health needs its own thing? The reason why is that when you see how mental health gets addressed in general healthcare issues or even general venture labs and stuff like that, it's often missing a lot of nuance behind what is the core issue here in terms of how a patient might be struggling and really understanding the nitty gritty of the patient experience, which is really, 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 really critical to then building something that is going to help them. So everything from recognizing that when you are building an app in mental health, there needs to be something to help um, if someone in crisis management, basically, if someone's having suicidal or self-harm thoughts, there always needs to be something there to help that person get resources, call a suicide hotline or go to their emergency room and understand what they should do when they're feeling that way. If it's a general, you know, if it's a general type of uh, application, you don't you don't necessarily need to have that. And so, so there, that's just one example. But there are a number of things where someone who struggles with mental health, there are a lot of actually core differences in terms of what they're dealing with, what they need, how they will respond to things you get out there. And that's why we felt like it was really important to do really exactly what you're saying, a mental health version of all of this. I want to switch gears and talk about Real for a little bit, too. Real is a wellness app that provides therapist-built interactive exercises, which you can access anytime monthly group therapy, and more. Seems like the idea behind Real is exactly what Brainstorm is trying to develop more of. Tell us a little bit about Real, how it started, and what being a chief medical officer entails. Yes, yes, I love that. So what is Real? Real is a mental health company, and we're building a new therapy model that is rooted specifically in health equity, affordability, and really a true brand evolution which is helping us ensure that we engage in preventive care and feel really, really proud to do so. And, you know, I think if we think about our modernized therapist designed care model, so, you know, the, what we've put out there to help people get better is, is very, very different from the kind of old school or traditional healthcare ways of doing things. It's all led by experts, by, by our amazing therapists. Um, but I say modernized because what we're doing is we're really trying to improve the quality of mental health care while making it accessible to more people. So what I mean there is it's very, very affordable, like a year of real costs less than one one-on-one -on -one therapy session. And it's, uh, you know, especially the, the younger generations, or we say that they're digital natives, they've grown up with all these different online tools. And so they're looking for something on their phone or, you know, a website to help deliver the sorts of things, because everything else they're doing in life has something online. How can they actually get mental health help online as well? How can they prevent mental health? How can they get mental health treated? So, so uh, you mentioned, you know, my, my student who is the CEO of Real, the founder and CEO is Ariella Safira. 
and she founded Real in 2019. Um, I shared with you exactly that Ariella was actually a student at Stanford University, and and we met because she was had taken a course that I teach on innovation in mental health. And so that was, you know, what one thing that I think really helped inform her on understanding a lot of, I said, like the nuances of mental health. And so I think as she went along and did very many, many cool things, that was kind of something that she she was really learning so much about everything from what does the men, modern mental health care system look, look like, what works, what doesn't work, how does it work in other countries, and then what can we really do about it? Because I think ultimately she felt this frustration of there are so many things out there and yet, you know, they're working a little for a few people, but when we think about mental health, like at any given point in time, 20 to 25% of the population is struggling with something related to mental health. Over the course of our lifetimes as Americans, 50% of the population will have a diagnosable mental health condition. This is huge. This is tremendous. It's so many people. And what she saw, I think, was that nothing is really working at scale for all the people that need help. And so how do we actually do something about it? And then secondly, how do we also change the culture around mental health so that we're actually celebrating and making it a positive experience for people to get this sort of help instead of what it had been historically is like very much this almost like hush hush thing. Like no one actively talks about, oh, I'm starting a medication or, oh, I saw, you know, I saw a psychiatrist. It's something that because of stigma, people don't talk openly about and how do we really change that experience? Um, so I think that that is really what fueled her desire to fix what we realize is a very broken mental health care system today. I am taking this class called Healthcare Systems and it described a triangle where it's cost um, or affordability, quality and accessibility. And that to improve one side, you have to take away from another. But I think technology is the factor that can increase all three which is what you're incorporating in at Brainstorm and Real. So I love that so much. Yeah, so I can keep, keep going. Going back to your book, part one was the vision and part two is the method where you discuss how to optimize your social innovation and make it sustainable. And especially with your line of work, innovating mental health care, I think it's still uncharted territory with no textbook for sustainability. And there must be a lot of risk and challenges that comes with leading change. So what are some of the biggest challenges you face leading Brainstorm and Real? That's a really lovely, lovely question. And I think what I'll do in order to kind of help paint that, understand what that is, is explain a little bit more about what we're even doing at Real, how we came how we came to what we're doing, because I think that will help help uh, give the foundation here. So really what we're trying to do is revolutionize mental health with clinician-built and technology-enabled care. And, and you, you absolutely nailed it, right? It is both that these are all technology-enabled tools, because then you can make access make uh, access affordability and, and quality, right? All yeah. of those can actually improve. And we have seen that those are all improving through technology. Um, and in particular, that it's built by missions, that we have these experts who are delivering really what we, you know, what we will do in a hospital or in a clinic, but turning that into something that people can have in, you know, in the palm of their hand and something that people really love and, and use and be benefit from. And I say that because I'll even break those three down. One, there are a lot of things out there that don't create very like lovable experiences. You know, they, they might be overly clinical or they don't make you feel safe. And so things like that can get out there. 
utilization, what we know, you know, there are, as I said, there are over, over a thousand, I think it's actually even over 10,000 or a hundred thousand, something like that, like a really, really huge number of apps that are out there. What we see, I'll give you an example. Um, let's think of employer health and employer well-being. A lot of employers have now been getting access to these different mental health companies and apps for their employees because they want to, just like they want to give insurance and make sure that you can go see your doctor. They also want you to have these different tools so that you can get better. Unfortunately, what we see across the board when people, when companies are engaging or are, are, you know, bringing on these different tools and platforms, the utilization rate is usually less than one to 2%, right? That's really, really small, given what we know the reality is in terms of how many people, you know, across the board are struggling with mental health. So what we were really trying to think about is how do we actually engage people, make sure that they're going to use it, they're going to stick with it. Um, and and finally, that they're going to get better. We actually have an IRB approved clinical trial that we did last year um, where we saw that our our platform is better in both depression and anxiety than you know the, the, gold, the gold standard, which is one-on-one therapy. And we had better results and, and better results actually for all types of populations, folks who are in the lowest income brackets, for the African-American population, that's often very much, um, you know, has worse outcomes in the traditional healthcare system. So those are all things that are really important to us and, and what we've been able to see. So the reason I bring that up is that I think, um, you know, we're really trying to think about access, scale, inclusivity, engagement, and affordability. And to your point, in a lot of the healthcare system, you can't have all five of those. If you want to have one, you're not going to have the other. But I think you're right in that in that technology has enabled to, us to do that. And I'll give you a couple examples of what we've seen that I think really highlight this. So real is almost, I, I, we like to say that it's almost like Peloton for mental health, where, you know, if you think about going on Peloton, you're able to tap into whatever you need the most, depending on how you're feeling and wherever you are, right? So let's get to the wherever you are, any time of day you can access this. And what's really interesting. So, you know, if we, when we look to see when do members come online and use real, the most common time that people are, are getting online is 11 p.m. That is not a time that, you know, therapists, psychiatrists have appointments, right? They, it's usually like something like nine to five, but the time that you really need someone is 11 p.m. So being able to offer things to people that they can use when they most need it is tremendously important. Also that it gets at a number of things that you might be struggling with, right? So the likelihood, you know, let's say someone is struggling with depression. One, there are a lot of things that make up that depression, but it's also likely that they're all, there's something else they're also struggling with in addition to depression. It might be sleep. It might be their like romantic relationships. And so what we've done at Real is we've put together all this content that spans all these different issues that we all face in life including, you know, the worst of depression to something that might be like common and mild. And we've created these tools, these therapist-led, uh, you know, physician-led tools that people can access. And that way they can really understand what's going on with them and then get these very concrete tools to get better. So you asked what is the most difficult thing, I think, right? Is that, I just want to, yeah, that, that's yeah. what you're asking. Um, and, and I wanted to paint that picture of what we do to really help you understand what are the issues that we saw with the current healthcare system and with how mental health is delivered and why then did we build these things in these different ways? It was really being able to um, figure out how through technology can we solve problems even better than how they're currently being done? And, and in a way that people really want to engage with it. 
those are the kind of things that are always in my head as a chief medical officer is, oh, how do we make this more affordable? We know that, you know, given health insurance, given all the inequity in, in our country, we know that people don't have a lot of money to be able to spend on, you know, something necessarily. And especially if insurance is not covering it, um, you know, it's really hard. And so how do we make sure that whether you're, you know, someone who is working a, you know, on like minimum wage job all the way through your, the, the, you know, president of, of Penn, um, how do we make sure that all those people can access and, and get this sort of help? That's something I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about equality. I'm thinking about, um, and, and really, you know, how do we, one of the things I think that's important with technology is if we look, for example, when Brainstorm was started, that first generation of mental health apps, really what they were doing is they were taking what we do in person and putting it online. For example, one, this is even something like teletherapy, right? Telemedicine, which is kind of the same exact thing that you might do one-on-one, -on -one, but just making it available online. Or on the mental health side, things like, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy called CBT for short. CBT has a lot of exercises related to, to it. And in, if I'm working with a patient, it might be something that like I give them a worksheet at every week, or there's an entire workbook that they work through to understand what it is and, and do some exercises. And so what they were doing was putting that online. Really important first step that that's where things have to begin. But I think what we're doing at Real is we're thinking, how do we get even better outcomes than what is happening in the IRL world, in the, sorry, in the, in the traditional healthcare system? How do we leverage technology in ways that it's not just doing the same thing that we do and putting it online, but rather thinking a step further to what are the very unique and amazing elements of technology that allow us to do something to make things better, right? Everything from make it access to accessible 24 seven, being able to track how you're doing. That's something that's really important to us. Um, you know, as, as medical students, you know that, you know, when you're going and see your doctor, you might get your blood drawn and that's going to help you understand, um, you know, various aspects of various diseases you might have, or you're going to get an x-ray and that's going to help see something, you know, do you have a small malignancy, for example, in mental health, um, you know, we don't have those same things, or actually we, we do, and they're coming down the line, but they're still a few years out in terms of th having things like that, that really get used. And so we have these assessments that we use things like, um, for example, it's called the PHQ-9, which is our a standard assessment for depression or the GAD-7, which is our standard assessment for anxiety. Um, how do we help people, the patients themselves, in this case, our members, really understand what's going on with them and then be able to track and see that they're getting better, why they're getting better, in what areas are they getting better, and really have a lot more information, empower patients with data so that they can understand what's going on with them and realize then when things might be slipping so that they can proactively, you know, come in, get more help and, and, uh, and, and do better overall. And also see that when they're getting better and can celebrate those positive outcomes. I really like the idea of mobilizing mental health, because I think that's the key to what you're explaining, because you can, you've been able to track physical health, literally from your smartwatch, wherever you are, like your higher rate, respiration rate, but not mental health. And I think real increase is that the mobility and therefore accessibility while you can stay engaged on your phone. It's more personalized, consistent, just more fun. That's, you you, you totally absolutely nailed it. That, that's absolutely right. And I'll just, I'll share one more statistic, um, which is that, so let, what, how are most people today getting mental health help? That usually is through a one-on-one -on -one experience with a therapist or with a doctor. 
And the issue is that we have this huge supply and demand mismatch where the number of people who need this help far, far exceeds the number of clinicians who can provide it. If we're doing the kind of traditional one-on-one, you know, half an hour, one hour sort of sort of uh, sessions that we have today. And so what happens is that these solutions are really impossible to scale. And ultimately to solve the mental health crisis that our country is experiencing, we need to think about what can we do beyond that? And so today we actually have enough clinicians to provide one-on-one therapy to only 7% of the population. Now, what, what I just shared, at any given time, we have you know 20% of, of Americans have a diagnosable mental health condition, and yet only 7% can get treated, right? That's that's really, that's not okay. That's not okay in America. That's not okay anywhere in the world. And given the, what we know, given the uh, tools and technologies that we have today, we really need to do something to change that. And, and so it starts with, you know, recognizing one-on-one therapy is really great for some people in some conditions and absolutely, you know, needs to be there. But we need to do a lot more to be able to reach more people, reach them, you know, throughout the day and help think, help people get better faster. And that's really the, the sort of tools that we're, we're, that we're giving to people. Well, I had a lot more questions that we didn't have the yeah. time for, but before we wrap up, um, I love doctors who create as a listener, because hearing from such creative doctors, like you gave me a lot of inspiration, motivation, so could you give some advice to our listeners who might be just beginning their careers in medicine or business? I would love to do that. And and I'm going to start with what actually one thing I wanted to add about Real is that in addition to providing these tools and resources, and actually when Ariella first shared with me her ideas for the company many years ago, what made me want to join. Um, one is her and how amazing she is, but but in particular, she not only had a solution for how she thought we could make mental health better, she also really importantly wanted to address the culture and the stigma and think about how can we change the culture so that it is more positive, that people feel more like they want to get this help. And so one of the things we say at Real is that we're celebrating therapy. We're celebrating you getting help in mental health where, you know, it's not just like, okay, do it, but let's, let's, let's champion this. Let's make you feel like you did something really good for yourself because you did, because ultimately it takes a lot of strength to address your mental health. And, and, and I think that that's something um, that is tremendously important. And I'm going to go a step further to give this advice to future clinicians and, and physicians and entrepreneurs. You know, the reason I myself even am here today is because when I was in medical school, I experienced depression. I was very depressed, didn't know what was going on, took a long time to actually figure that out. Ultimately, I did get diagnosed. I started taking Wellbutrin. I started taking medication and and got better. And this medication really worked. And and, and I then was able to do therapy and therapy has made me so much better as well. And more more, uh, importantly, therapy has also helped prevent more episodes of depression to, to be out there. And I think that what I experienced and, and that whole my personal experience is what led to me really, really being interested in this professionally. But the reason I, I bring this up is that for clinicians and even my own experience, you know, many years ago when I was in med school, was that we 
are taught how to help patients and acknowledge that patients are not doing well, but we're really not taught, or rather when I was in training, we were not taught how to take care of ourselves. I think that there's more awareness of it, that now and people are trying, but this medical system, there's, there's more stigma within the medical system than there is in general society. And we think that it's okay for us to treat other people who are sick, but not that, that we're not vulnerable, that we're, you know, these people who will never get any sort of, any sort of uh, issue. And so I think that it's really really important as clinicians that we change the language and culture around mental health because we hear way too many stories of, of medical students, of residents, of, of doctors, you know, dying from suicide or having, you know, major mental health issues that then lead to them not being able to go to work or take care of their family or live the best life that they should. So really what I'm saying here is if you are feeling like you're not doing well, talk about it and get help. And, you know, there's more stigma in medicine. We don't talk about it, how to take care of yourself and not only think about how do you take care of yourself, look at your friend, look at your coworker, look at the person who's next to you on the opera, you know, in the operating room or in clinic and, and try to see how are they doing too? And, and can you, you know, can you maybe help someone else get, get better as well and be a good resource and colleague and support to, to other people in, in our, our, you know, our fellow students, our fellow residents, et cetera. That was a great advice for me as well. This has been a very insightful conversation. Thank you for your time, Dr. Boston. You're very, very welcome. Thank you so much for having me and really love what you're getting out there. As I said, I think that you know, creativity in medicine is ultimately, you know, I'll just hear my own experience, like sometimes the kind of traditional, what medical school, what the medical professional process looks like, it's, it's some, it can feel in some ways very, um, very like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? very controlled. It doesn't really necessarily allow for you to like go out, think outside the box, bring in creativity. And, um, and, and also medicine can feel like a bubble. You know, it can feel like you're, everyone is kind of here. We, we know we're going to go to residency and then do fellowship and then look for an academic job. And we have to publish papers and, you know, do a little research while we're seeing patients and, and all that stuff, right? It's kind of formulaic in terms of what we're doing. I think it's really, really important to stay curious and explore the world and think about creativity, think about what you can create. Um, and one of the most important ways of doing that is by not only talking to people inside of the field, but people outside of the field, people who are doing things outside of the world of medicine work together because ultimately then you have people who are thinking about problem solving in a different way and how we can work together and, and make some change in the healthcare system. Thank you, Dr. Vossen. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe, tell a friend, leave a review. We would love to hear from you. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can email us at doctorswhocreate at gmail.com. Or tweet us at doctorscreate. Or check out our website, doctorswhocreate.com, to listen to our podcast episodes and also to check out other articles and profiles of physicians who are creative. Intro music brought to you by the band Night Float.